What a great and glorious God we serve, one who has intricately designed the child. What a, what a wonderful picture seeing uh, that development. And uh, Steve, did you notice in weeks, uh, what was it, 6 through 11, that the child begins to suck the thumb and has a preference for either left or right? You know what they call a child that, uh, that, that doesn't have a preference for either one, don't you? He's amphibious, just like that uh, great North Carolina State player that uh, played a few years back. He scored with both hands, and uh, somebody asked him after the game what, they, what he thought about it. He said, well, I'm amphibious, and uh, indeed he was special. I'm not sure exactly amphibious was what he was going for or ambidextrous, but this week as uh, we get started, I want you to turn to Jeremiah 7, verses 1 through 15. And last week as I was talking uh, in my office with one of our members, we were talking about the challenges facing our country. We recounted how bad the economy has been, how the economic and governmental system seems to be decaying into an utter state of chaos. We indeed recounted how the moral makeup of our country is nothing more than a muddled mess within our present condition. And yet the question had been asked of this member by one of their friends, why would God allow us to be in this situation? Why would God allow our suffering? Underlying that question is somehow the, the idea that America is a bastion of goodness, of godliness, of righteousness, of justice, of holiness. Indeed, that we are too good to receive God's wrath, His justice, and His judgment upon our sin. That we are somehow, quote-unquote, a Christian nation. Now let us be honest with the assessment of our moral fiber as a nation and let us be honest in our assessment of the moral fiber even within the church. Let us be honest with our assessment of the moral fiber in our Christian lives. Let us look at ourselves and ask, are we too good to be chastised by the living God? Are our lives so filled with goodness, godliness, righteousness, holiness, and justice that God would be somehow incorrect to judge us and to chastise us, to teach us to learn from Him, to lean upon Him, and to live for Him. Indeed, our, our church, with Christians who are God's church within this world, have compromised the convictions of God's commands to be content with nothing more than cultural Christianity. We have half-heartedly held to holiness in order that we might have happiness here within this world. We even mock our Maker and Master to muddle through in nothing more than mediocre moral malaise. We say we're serious about being Christians, but nothing in our life demonstrates a serious commitment to Christ or honoring or obeying Him once we leave the walls of this church. We have the audacity in those difficult times when things are fickle financially, when we are having pain personally and physically, when we are having emotional problems and we are empty emotionally, we have the audacity to come before the living God to stand in His courts and say, God, why would you allow this to go on? Why am I suffering? 
And underlying that thought process is the thought process that somehow I am too good. I am too godly. I am too holy. I am too righteous. And I am too just to endure any chastisement from the living God. In the midst of these difficulties and instabilities of our lives, we struggle with the question of where is God and what is He doing? Why is He allowing evil to seemingly go unpunished? And why isn't He stabilizing my world? Indeed, earth is grand and glorious from outer space, but earth is grim from our perspective. Why doesn't God do something? Godly men and women have asked this throughout the course of history. There are wise all over the world. I ask them almost daily. I pray continually and continually seek God's leading as I look around the world. Indeed, I have, I am full of wise when I look at the world. Indeed, international crises and inter- internal corruption, debt is devaluing the dollar, elections hang in the balance, recessions and weather and war. God, what are you? you doing what would you have us see what would you have us learn from you nations rise up against nation all around the world sin abounds at home world powers are increasingly aiming uh, aiming uh, an array of complex nuclear weapons at one another while the whole time they talk of peace while the stage is set for a global holocaust an unsuspecting home audience fiddles a happy tune. The nation's moral fiber is being eaten away by a playboy philosophy that makes personal pleasure the supreme rule of life. Hedonism catches fire while our homes crumble. Crime soars while our churches sour. Drugs, divorce, and debauchery prevail, and decency seems to have died. Frivolity dances in the streets, and faith is buried. In God we trust us is nothing more than a meaningless mantra stamped on corroding coins. We wonder why we suffer. We wonder why we go through difficult times. The Bible is just as accurate and just as noteworthy for your life today as the morning newspaper. You want to know who you are, where you are, and what you're going through? You want to know why these things occur? Then listen, you look to your Bible for guidance and understanding who God is and how He is working within this world. But first and foremost, we must understand that not one of us is worthy to stand in God's presence and to accuse a a castigating glance at His throne and say that somehow I deserve better, that I deserve more than what I have. Because the truth of the matter is, not one of us is just enough to stand before His throne. Each and every one of us are sinners by nature and by choice. And in the dark days of of Judah during Jehoiakim's reign, they are warned both by the prophet Habakkuk and by the by the prophet Jeremiah about the coming Babylonian ca- captivity. These prophets penned unusual messages of hope and encouragement for God's people. But understand, though the doubts and confusion reign when sin runs rampant and in with God can turn these doubts into devotion and they can and it can turn our confusion into confidence and see these prophets didn't say now the people of God will be delivered from suffering 
They didn't say the people of God will be delivered from hardship. They didn't say the people of God will be delivered from pain. The prophet said the people of God would be delivered through pain and sorrow and suffering. That indeed they would face difficulty just like everybody else, but they would have the living God standing beside them, strengthening, strengthening them with the power to go forward and to serve Him. And so as we come today, let us see and understand that God does not promise to always deliver us from the pain and hardship of life, but in fact He promises that He will take us through pain and hardship so that we might be refined, so that we might be redeemed so that we might be made to look more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. As you and I come this morning, let's turn the question of why into an exclamation mark of who. Let us turn those questions that we ask, why all the conflict, into an exclamation point upon the comprehension of who is in control. For it is God who has made us, not we ourselves. He is our maker. He is our master. He is directing our days. As we come today... Let us be a people who live by faith, a people who confess that indeed we serve the great and living God, the one who says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, plans to give you a hope and a future. But the reality is, those plans for a hope and future may take us through the valleys of the shadow of death. The, the valley of the shadow of death. Because God may be working in you something by His chastising of your life and my life. He may be working something in you to bring about character to show forth within this world the character of a loving, redeeming God. Let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 7 and let us see an answer to the question of why would God allow our suffering and let's stand now in honor of the reading of God's Word. The prophet Jeremiah speaking uh, in the time of Judah and saying, saying to them that the Babylonians are coming. Listen to what he says as a word of rebuke to God's people who are in God's house. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord. All you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after gods to your other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever behold 
You are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you still murder, still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, that you may do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place which I gave you and your fathers, as I did to Shiloh, I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brothers, all the offspring of Ephraim. Father, please bless the reading of your words. Let your Holy Spirit come and guide us and guard us, lead us into understanding this truth so that we might honor you not only with our words, but also with the works of our hands, with the worship of our lives. Father, let us see our sin today. Let us see your Savior. Let us understand that, Father, what you desire is not just outward appearance, but, Father, a heart that is pure, hands that are pure, a life that trusts in you and you alone. Lord, let us now live for you, even as we profess to do day by day. Let us live for you in the midst of the most mundane moments of our lives in such a way that the watching world would see and know and hear the testimony of a change and transform life by the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, may you guide us and guard us now. May your Holy Spirit come and illuminate your word. Apply it to our hearts so that we might go out differently than we came in. We pray all these things now, in the, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. When the people, when people are under chastisement, God's people are to remember God. They are to receive His rebuke, and they are to live in by faith in obedience to His commands. When under chastisement, God's people are to remember God, receive His rebuke, and live by faith in obedience to His commands. Now, some of you might have a hard time understanding what chastisement is. That means when you're under discipline, when you're being spanked, when you're being taken out behind the woodshed, if some of you might remember that phrase. Reality, a couple of years ago, I learned exactly what it meant for chastisement when I, my little niece came to see us and she was sitting there at the table. She had deliberately disobeyed her mother and I, my, my sister-in-law said, Allie, now that's one chance. You, you've been warned. You're not to do that. Please don't do it again. She did it a second time. To immediately, Mandy said, well, Man, or Allie, that's twice you have deliberately disobeyed your mother. Now you are going to be chastised. To which 
Allie promptly threw a fit, which she knew she was not supposed to do, and began swinging at her mother. And her mother said, Allie, that's two. And she looked up at her mom, and she, her eyes got huge. She said, Mommy, Mommy, no double chastise. I don't want to be chastised. I don't want to be spanked. I don't want to be disciplined. I don't want to be brought under submission to that rule that is telling me where I should go, what I should do, and how I should live. And yet God's people, when we see God's chastisement poured out upon His creatures, we ought to be people who remember our great and glorious God. We ought to receive His rebuke. We ought to live by faith in obedience to His commands. And we ought to go and teach others to do likewise because the biggest problem we have this morning is not our fickle finances it is not your pain in your physical body it is not the relationships upon this earth it is not your emotional stability the biggest problem you have and the biggest problem i have is that i am a sinner in need of judgment and justice and wrath from the living God, and I need Him to make me right. So we come this morning, when we see the chastisement of God poured out upon His creatures, God's people are to remember God, they are to receive His rebuke, and they are to live by faith in obedience to Him and to His commands. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, we see there a charge for God's spokesman. A charge for God's spokesman. God commands His prophet to stand in His house and deliver His message to His people. It is as though God is bringing His people into His courtroom in order to pronounce them guilty of false worship through empty and vain rituals instead of having pure and holy religion founded on a relationship of loving obeying and serving the living God. He says, listen, you're all guilty. And this would have been at a time when the, when the people would have come to the temple. And he says, Jeremiah, I want you to go stand in the gate. And when all the people are coming in, as they're coming in to the church service, you need to stand up and tell them how wrong they are because they don't have pure heart. God gifted the prophet with a message that was to be faithfully echoed through his court, God's courts as a herald would share the message from a king. Indeed, three times a year, the Jewish males from Judea would have come to the temple to celebrate the holy days and to offer sacrifices. And perhaps this would have fallen upon one of those special days when all of the kingdom would have been, would have been gathered there from every city throughout Judea. Imagine a large crowd of people gathering in one central place. Imagine them coming in and these are the people who are supposed to be God's people within the culture and within the country and God directs His servant to stand up and to speak His his truth to His people about their corruption and their crookedness, about how they have forsaken the laws and the commands of the living God. Hey, listen, Jeremiah, I've got a task for you. Go stand up at the church and tell them how wrong they are in our culture the church might not be a bad place to start addressing the crookedness and corruption 
Because, see, we say that we love God. We say that we serve God. We say that we want Him to be glorified in everything that we say and do. But then we walk out of these doors and we don't think about it a moment more for the rest of the week. We walk out of these doors and we walk into our community, our city, our country, and our culture. And you can't tell a difference between the one who says they're a Christian on Sunday and the one that says they're a pagan. We've got to ask ourselves, church, are we a redemptive force within the world? Are we salt and light? Are we showing the light of Jesus Christ to the world? God gives his spokesman, his prophet, a message to go and proclaim to the people. God has gifted us with his word of redemption and reconciliation in Jesus Christ. He has given us the great commission of facilitating the flow of the gospel to the ends of the earth by calling every man, woman, boy, and girl to come to faith in Jesus Christ by repenting of their sins and placing their hope and their trust in him and in him alone. And for all of those who respond, we are to baptize them and then to disciple them and teaching them the things of God's commands. But Jeremiah, he had a special ministry. He had a special revelation from God for a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. Church, you and I, we have a universal command. We have God's gospel given in the words of Scripture for all people at all places in all times. It is our charge, church, to take God's word from this place into our communities, into our country, into our culture, and to saturate it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, will you stand up and do the work that God has called you to do? In your families? In your community? In your city, in your county, in your country, in your world, will you be the spokesman that God wants you to be? He gives a charge for his spokesman. Secondly, we see a charge against the worshipers at God's house. A charge against the worshipers at God's house. There are two charges that come against the worshipers that are gathering at the house. They're they're twofold. First of all, there's misplaced trust. And secondly, there's misguided behavior. Misplaced trust and misguided behavior. Their trust is in the place instead of the God of the place. The people of Judah had placed their trust and their hope in the temple of God rather, rather than in the person of God. They could not believe that there was any real danger to them because after all, they could argue that God had made a covenant with Abraham to give them this place perpetually. He had made a promise to give this place to his descendants at Sinai. He had made a covenant with his chosen people to perpetuate them upon this earth. He had made a covenant with David that his kingdom would be established forever. For Judah the temple was a visible reminder. This was a place that they could look at and say this is God's presence. This reminds us of God's protective power in our life. People of God thought as long as they came to the right place at the right time and said the right words as if they were some magical mantra, everything would be okay. It's all right. We'll go and we'll stay a few days. We'll, you know, do the required things. We'll offer a few sacrifices. We'll say a few prayers and we'll drop off a few offerings and everything will be good until next week or next month or next year. Isn't that the attitude of a lot of us when we come to church? 
Well, I'm coming to church and I'm just going to sing a few songs. I'm going to say a few words and then I'm going to give a few dollars in the offering plate and everything will be good until next Sunday. And I don't have to think about anything else. I don't have to worry about anything else. I'm good as far as I'm concerned. Listen, that is a false assurance because that is not what the Bible requires. God does not look upon the outward appearance of man. He looks at the heart. He knows your heart. He knows your intentions. He knows what is the Lord of your life and he will tolerate no other kings listen when you come to the house of god you don't trust in the house of god you trust in the god of the house these people have misplaced trust sort of like those those passengers on the coast of concordia a few weeks ago the captain, Francisco Chatini, going ahead and telling them over and over, oh, everything's okay, everything's okay, everything's okay, until the boat collapses on its side, capsizes on its side, and at least 17 people are drowned. Listen, false prophet who are for profit can tell you to trust in all sorts of things. They can tell you to trust in church attendance. They can tell you to trust in giving. They can tell you that if you do this, God will pay you back. But listen, trusting in the place and not in the God of the place is false in Jeremiah's Jeremiah's day, and it's just as false in our day. Second of all, not only did they have misplaced trust, they had misguided behavior. In addition to that, that misplaced trust, they had misguided behavior because they thought God would never come to them and correct them. See, they had a certain heritage. They had a mama and a daddy who were Jewish citizens. They had grown up in the realm of Judaism. They served the living God, the same God who had delivered them out of Egypt. And now everything was okay because they were of the right heritage they were in the right place they went to the right time went at the right times there to the place of worship they had nothing to worry about in relationship to God because he would accept them based on their family heritage and not upon their heart well my mama and daddy built this church Well, my grandma used to go to church every Sunday. I'm okay. I'm a Christian because she was a Christian. Listen, you growing up in a home that was dedicated to the Lord with Christian parents no more makes you a Christian than me standing in a barn and neighing makes me a horse. You're not a Christian because of the place and the people that you are surrounded by. You are only a Christian if your heart has been changed and transformed by the living God. See, they were not pursuing holiness by walking in faith, obeying God's commands and worshiping with clean hands and a pure heart. God had told them that, listen, as my people, you need to be holy even as I am holy. That they were to pursue purity of heart, soul, and mind as they worship Him with all of their strength. Jeremiah accused the people of repeatedly uh, repeated violations of the Ten Commandments. At least six of them are mentioned in this passage. And yet the people felt no shame about breaking the moral laws of God and then coming to stand in the temple that was known by his name and saying, I've been delivered, we're safe, we're okay, everything's fine because we've done our duty. God must reward us by watching over and protecting and providing for us. 
They believed that observing the temple rituals freed them to return to their abominations without fear of punishment. God says, you've turned my house into a den of robbers, a den of thieves. In that day, bandits often upon raiding and robbing people within the area would go out into the Judean hills and there they would find a cavern, a cave, and they would slip inside and they would hide out there until the people got tired of looking for them and then they would come and raid and rob others. And it was a perpetual situation that was going on, always returning back to their little caves and caverns, their safe places where they could hide out, a den of thieves. And God says, you have turned my house of worship into nothing more than a cavern of thieves you go out in the week and you dishonor me with your words with your lifestyle with the way that you spend your time the way you treat people then you come in here every Sunday and say I'm all good I'm forgiven God says that's not what I want Jesus confronts the religious leaders of his day and he says, Though my father's house should be a house of prayer, you have turned it into nothing more than a den of robbers. The reality is it continues in our day. And God says something very specific at the end of verse 12. I've been watching I've been, or verse 11, I have seen it. My eyes have been upon you. I've seen what you do in your family. I've seen what you do in your homes. I've seen what you do at your work site. I see what you do on that computer when nobody else is watching. I see what you do when you give yourself to drunkenness and to drugs outside and then say, well, everything's okay in my life. No problem here. Listen, any theology in our lives that minimizes God's holiness and tolerates people's deliverance Deliberate sinfulness is a false theology. It is a false salvation. You cannot say, God has saved me and He is working in my heart. He is changing me and transforming me. And I am right with Him, but I let sin run rampant in my life. If your Sunday doesn't inform your Monday, if your belief doesn't inform your behavior, if your faith doesn't inform your function, you need to reconsider whether or not you are truly saved. God says, listen, your misplaced trust and misguided behavior demonstrate that your heart is far from me. A right heart will repent of wrong actions every time when challenged by God upon them. You willing to repent and to give up those things which disgrace God and dishonor His name? If you're not, I would challenge you today to see whether or not you are truly a Christian. Thirdly, there's a caution for the unconcerned. A caution for the unconcerned. He says, remember Shiloh is further warning that the temple was not exempt from God's wrath. He reminded them to consider the fate of Shiloh located just a short 18 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the first permanent location of God's glory of the tabernacle there within the promised land. This was the place that that at first God had dwelt among his people in the promised land and the land had been divided among the tribes. The shrine was still there where 
Eli has served the Lord. But indeed, we could have seen at that point, not only the place where Eli had served his great God, but the same place where his evil sons had had risen up. And because of them and because of the people's wickedness, God had written Ichabod. The glory has departed. After the battle of 1050 with the Philistines, the city seems to have been destroyed uh, there in 1 Samuel chapter 4. If God would destroy the city where the tabernacle and the ark were located because of Israel's sin, how could Jerusalem expect to escape a similar fate? Let me ask you, if God would destroy the place where His glory resided among His people in their promised land, why would God spare any other nation or or any other people from his chastisement? Why would he spare America? Why would he spare any other nation in the world? If God says, if you don't worship me in spirit and in truth, if you don't love my law and obey my commands, then I will remove you and cast you out. Why would we expect any different in our day and time? God has risen up early and has spoken often, and yet we don't hear him. He has called to us continually and we don't answer, and now he is going to cast people away from his presence. And he had done that to Israel in in the Syrian captivity in 722. He was about to do that in the Babylonian captivity in 586. And he can still do it within our day when God's creatures created to have a right relationship with him through faith, obedience, and worship choose to reject the living God and live for themselves and for their desires. Instead, we will come under his judgment under his justice under his wrath we must understand that god can and will protect his people but if he so desires but his temple in jerusalem was no longer holy it was a den of thieves better there was no temple at all than hypocrisy should reign and desecrate the house of the lord God throughout his human, throughout human history has let his judgment, justice, and wrath be poured out to remind his created creatures that they are accountable to him for the course of their lives. We better be concerned. We better understand that we are accountable to the living God. For indeed, every man is appointed one life to live. And upon uh, it is appointed unto every one of us once to die and then the judgment. And we will have to give an answer before the living God. We're going to have to answer for where we are and what we have done. We're going to have to answer for the lives that we have lived we are going to have to answer for the impact that we have had upon our culture. Listen, we can't stand idly by as a people of God within this culture and watch 50 million babies over 39 years be killed and say nothing. Can't stand by as embryonic stem cell research begins 
as eugenics goes on, as euthanasia looks like a viable option for the Western cultures of the world. We cannot stand by and watch all of these things take place and ignore the fact that it is our great and glorious God who has created life, who has gifted life. It is our God who says, "You about whom the scriptures say, you form my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. That is the God we serve. He loves life. He's gifted us with life. We are to defend the sanctity of human life. Listen. The first step was, well, that's just a meaningless matter. You know, that's just some conglomeration of cells or some gray matter within the womb of a woman. 50 million lives later. We watch as 3,322 abortions are performed every day. 1.21 million per year. And we are silent. And we stand by and watch as they begin to do embryonic stem cell research. Listen, Listen, from conception until natural death, we are to defend the sanctity of human life. We are to stand for the sanctity of human life. We are to defend as precious that, what, that which God has given. When it comes to abortion and embryonic stem cell research, to eugenics and euthanasia, we must stand against it. We must be a redemptive force upon our culture as we increasingly see not just a move in our culture towards this, but we also see an increasingly large movement in our culture, even within the church, to recognize and to receive homosexual marriage as if it were the same lockstep with heterosexual marriage. Our military has even even embraced the homo, open homosexual uh, open service of homosexual homosexuals within the military service. But understand this: on May eighth, North Carolina will have the opportunity to stand up for the sanctity and defense of God's of God's institution of marriage within our state by saying, listen, we want to define the marriage within this state, within this culture, as between one man and one woman. We need to be active in our culture and in our community, standing in defense of God's institution of marriage. Not to leave out the other topic, though, just as big an issue as the homosexual movement within our country is the heterosexual debauchery within our country. Just watch one episode of Jersey Shore and see if you're not repulsed by the drunkenness and debauchery that you would see. But understand, and I want you to understand clearly, this picture on the TV, many, uh, many people would say, well, pastor, that's the exception in our culture. No, it isn't. It's the reflection of our culture. 
The drunkenness and debauchery that we see there on TV is not the exception. 42% of all high school students last year or within the last 30 days have participated in drinking even to the point of drunkenness. Pornography runs rampant upon our schools and throughout our workforce. $15 billion per year just in America alone. Why would God allow us to suffer? My question is a greater question. Why would God ever spare us the wrath that we really deserve? Why would God spare us the wrath that we would deserve? Why would He ever spare us the full blow of our right? rightly deserve chastisement see the rhythms of our suffering is by divine design for the redemptive plans and purposes of God for indeed God says he is working all things together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose but what is his purpose for those he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ listen God's people are to remember God to receive his rebuke to live by faith in obedience to his commands in the midst of his chastisement he wants our faith he wants our hope he wants our trust to move from this earthly realm into his eternal realm he wants us to lean on him to learn from him to look to him and to live for him in every area and aspect of our life our suffering is simply a taste of what we deserve intended to draw us to him not to drive us away from him Your suffering, my suffering, is intended by divine design. Not to drive you away from God, but to draw you to Him. Because, listen, He wants you to love, to honor, and to obey Him each and every day. It says there in verses verses 5-7, through what God wants from His people. He says, if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent human blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin then i will let you dwell in this place in the land that i gave your fathers forever and ever micah 6 8 says he has shown you O man what is good and what the lord requires of thee but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god See, the correction for the concerned is to see that God spares his loved ones, his children, from the wrath, the judgment, and the justice they deserve. Well, how in the world could God ever do that? Well, God has chosen to do it in just this way. He has poured out his wrath, his judgment, and his justice upon his son, Jesus Christ, there at the cross of Calvary, who took upon himself the penalty of your sin and my sin so that you wouldn't have to receive it and I wouldn't have to receive it so that we could then be forgiven of our transgressions set free to serve him and so that we can know forever the true life eternal life given by god why would god allow our sufferings to give us a little taste of what we deserve so that we would see and be thankful for what he has given in the work of redemption in jesus christ god's redemptive plan is for you to come and to receive forgiveness and freedom through jesus christ 
He made him who knew no sin to be sin for you so that in him we might be received as the righteousness of God. So you come this morning when you're tempted to ask why. Ask, what has God spared me from? Why the suffering, God? Well, let me think just a second and get a different perspective. What has God spared me from? He has spared me from eternal death and eternal hell. What a great and gracious and glorious God we serve. Now here's the thing. Not only do we have to be convinced of that, do we have to know that, but now we have to go and do something about it. We have a responsibility to teach and to tell this community, this county, this, this city, this county, this culture, and this country about the love of Jesus Christ, the one who has given himself to receive the fullness of the penalty of their sins in their place upon the cross of Calvary. The one who was raised on the third day in glorious victory over sin, death, and hell. You and I have a responsibility to go and tell. Why would God allow us to suffer? He would allow us to suffer so that we can see how great and glorious His plan of redemption is in our life. Father, as we come today, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, who hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ by faith, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. That, Father, the suffering in their life would draw their attention to the fact that you are working even in the midst of this time. Not to drive them away from you, but to draw them to you. That they would see that they do not want to stand before your throne in their own righteousness. Because if we stand before you in our own righteousness, Father, we will receive upon ourselves the judgment, the justice, and the wrath that we deserve. But Father, for all of those who repent of their sins, who place their faith in Christ, and who live in obedience to your commands day by day, Father, they receive the righteousness of Christ. We stand in the righteousness of Christ because he has now received the judgment, the justice, and the, and the wrath of God so that we, rebels, children's, children who have gone after our own desires, might now be considered sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, change our hearts. Give us new perspective. Lord, have your own way in our hearts and in our lives even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our hymn of invitation. Have thine